What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> they ordered us some new scales for state record fish so we could start having the ability to... Like certified scales? Yeah. They were going to have one at every district office yeah. moving forward. That'd be good. Because everybody's having such an issue finding some place that's willing to let them bring a fish into like the, the, the place of post business. office or a deli or something like that yeah and see a lot of the food places won't let you bring a dead fish into a, a food place because of the health department yeah so they decided they're gonna get us so i took it out of the box yesterday and it's got all these it's got buttons it looks like it probably does like a thousand things i turned it on and i was like i can't even get it off of kilograms oh gosh <laughs> i was like so you're saying that our state record fish from now on are going to be measuring kilograms <laughs> no what i'm saying is i've got to get the book out because it should have been simple but i, I like I hit a couple buttons and I'm like, you know, I probably better just quit yeah. and just actually see how to do this the right way before I have a problem. Well, let's go ahead and get the podcast started. What do you say? Let's do it. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, David Baker. That's here with correct. me. David, now I almost called you Dave. I know. I don't know which one of you, Dave or David, would get more upset about that. Probably you, right? No, probably him. Probably him. <laughs> yeah, he's mad. I stole his name. Yeah, well, he was here first then, right? He was, but he's uglier, so I get the claimant. That's what I was saying. So I, uh, I accidentally call you sometimes trying to get Dave and accidentally called David or Dave sometimes trying to get you because on the phone sheet it says the same thing. Yep. But Everybody anyway, does it. Give me your title. Alright, so I'm fisheries biologist. I work uh, here in the Central Fisheries District. So kind of Lexington, Louisville, Northern Kentucky is kind of our area. There's a map on the website if you really wanted to know exactly which counties, but Scott County, Franklin County, Shelby County, Jefferson, Fayette, Scott. Up, up to Kenton, Campbell counties. Yeah, pretty so, pretty yeah. much that general area. Kind of that golden triangle everybody talks about. So what do you do at work? So, uh, so my main job is is to, to take care of uh, sampling and managing the fisheries in this part of the state. That be streams, lakes, uh, some of our bigger lakes we do is Harrington, Taylorsville, Giss Creek. Uh, we've got a ton of little lakes we take care of. Cedar Creek, places like uh, that. Cedar Creek's actually in a different district. Benji Kenman. So Benji Kenman, we got to go up 75, you got like Corinth, Bolts, Bullock Pen. Uh, get Elmer Davis, Beaver Lake. So we got quite a few water bodies. That so we, that new scale you were telling me about is basically for Saga, is what you're saying. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. We need <laughs> we needed it for when the new state record came out of Bullock Pen. We could have just took care of well, it. And last year, I think it was it was like Guest Creek, and then they had we've uh, had Guest Creek. That gentleman then his got beat like two weeks later. I come out of Cumberland River, yeah. and then. Now we've got it. Now hey, I'm happy. We've we've got the state record back in our district. There you go. So Bullock Pens the, is the record holder right now, I but was, it may not last. I was actually fishing for Saw Guy with Chad last Friday. We were just fun fishing, just trying to catch some food. Yeah. And we were out on Taylorsville, and I and we were talking about the state record, how it's broken all the time, and it's the reason it's broken all the time is because it's a new species, right? Oh yeah, it's that's we've all I think we started stocking in 15, 2015. Yeah. So it's been so it, six it, years. It's, it's a new it's a new thing. So they're still just growing. Those initial fish that you put in are probably still growing yeah we have no idea what the max yeah. is going to be of those yet but, i don't think we've hit it yet that's what i, told, I think we're close but i don't think we're there we're fishing I, I told chad i said i wouldn't doubt that there might be a state record swimming around in every lake where they've been stocking saga you know there there could be one in guest and could be one in taylorsville and could be one in bolts and bullet pen and well, i mean potentially every one of those lakes could have a state record swimming in it right now right absolutely yeah absolutely and the thing is, is I think I think Taylorsville's kind of our wild card right now because Taylorsville's started getting stocked two or three years later than some of those original well, they ones. They got a better like, shad yes. population. Well, the shad, I mean, anybody's been to Taylorsville goes, man, yeah. the shad are everywhere. Yeah. Then things, and they open their mouth, they eat, and then they grow. Not just that, it's a bigger bigger body of water. Taylorsville's like 3,000 something yep. acres. Guest Creek is 300 and something acres. Yep. So you got more water, more food. I mean, mm -hmm. eventually it's just going to be bigger fish, right? We've we've heard some good reports of like some seven pound class fish coming out of it. So God. I'm I'm interested to see where we actually top out at. I'd, yeah. I'd like to see us hit ten pounds. I'd like to see a seven pounder on my dinner dinner plate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, one thing we should probably hit off uh, right off the top is Lee. His seat is empty over here. Yeah. And you know, I'm, we probably would have done a podcast like two weeks ago, but Lee, unfortunately. 
um, had some health issues. He wasn't sick, but he's talked about on the podcast before that he's had issues with gallstones. So I feel fairly comfortable saying that, but I'll wait for Lee to come back. I actually talked to him earlier. I I was on the phone with Lee. I called him. I I called him on his cell because I didn't know if he was back in the office yet. He'd been in the hospital for a few days. And I was on the phone with Lee when he logged onto his computer for the first time in two weeks and saw how many emails he had. <laughs> and, and can you imagine? I said, Lee, I tried to cheer him up. I was like, 80% of those are probably junk. Don't worry yeah, about it. But yeah. he was just, um, you know, he was in the office today, but he's got so much to get caught up on that, you know, I told Lee to, to rest and recover a little bit more and he'll join us for the next one. So. Yeah, it's kind of weird him not being here, but, you know, yeah. he is back and feeling better, so that's the main God. thing. I called him. I didn't know. We were supposed to do a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it was actually the day that he went to the hospital. Huh. And I called him that morning to, you know, check in. Hey, are we still good for 10 o'clock or whatever it was? And a woman answered the phone, kind of threw me off, and it, I guess it was Lee's wife. Uh-huh. I'm hoping it was his wife. Well, yeah, and, for um, his sake. Yeah. <laughs> but she said, hold on one second, and uh, she gave the phone to Lee, and I'm telling you, it sounded like the Grim Reaper had his hand right there on Lee's shoulder. He was, hello. <laughs> yeah, but then by the end of the conversation, Lee was talking perfectly normal. And sometimes, I think Lee, when he's like out sick or something, when you call him, he kind of like puts on a little like i'm really sick guys i'm not faking it you know he kind of gives you all, all that so tell you what one of the guys i work with he had a gallstone attack back in the shop one day he come up front and he was doubled over white as a ghost and i thought i thought he'd hurt himself or, yeah. or you know or something hit him in the gut or something Oof. and took him to the hospital and figured out it was actually a gallstone attack and it was, i mean it would it looked awful they say it's so really i feel painful. for lee i feel bad no, I, I do too but the good news is he's had issues with gallstones for like 10 years and really i should let lee talk about this when he's here i'm sure he will but the good news is that it sounds like they have finally pinpointed the problem and that he's going to be able to get it fixed perfect so even though it, it you know i'm sure it stunk and it, he hated going through it if he can avoid 10 more years of issues i'm sure that he's happy to do it so heck yeah but um David, there were really two things that I was hoping we could talk about today. Right. One, I know you've already been talking about today because you were on another podcast. I just was about an hour ago, right? I was, and so we just finished up one, and we're gonna we're gonna do it again. Now I, I have nothing in, like I'm not trying to be exclusive here. The more people that are talking about outdoors and recreation, I think the better. So, who is the uh, other podcast you went on with? Which one was that? Uh, Evolving Anglers was the name of it. And, and, you know, it's kind of a neat thing. I mean, these podcasts are a little different avenue that mm-hmm. we don't really utilize to get information out. We are now. And, uh, I mean, I know we're doing it now. Mm-hmm. I know we were having some people that do podcasts mm-hmm. about angling in Kentucky that are reaching out. We're able to share a lot of information. And, again, the information is only as good as if we inform people about what's going on and and explain the benefits of what we're doing. I mean, there's yeah. a point to it all. You could write the the most profound thing in the world on a piece of paper, and if you throw it in the trash and nobody sees it, it doesn't mean anything, you know? Right. So the more we're getting stuff out there, the better. And I'm glad, you know, you went on with that podcast today and talked to some of our other biologists. They've been on with, you know, Kentucky Outdoors Media and other podcasts yeah. in the past. So I mean, it's definitely picking up. If people are spending all that drive time, like me, going back and forth from Louisville to Frankfurt each day, they need something to listen to, mm-hmm. right? So. I hope uh, people are, are enjoying it. And honestly, I ran into several podcast listeners here recently, some at the uh, Falls of the Ohio, and okay. they said, they, I'm sure that they're probably listening to this right now because they said they tune into each one of them. But, and, uh, you know, I, I enjoy that when I'm out too. And that might be a place we talk about today. The main things I wanted, I wanted to hit on were the Elkhorn Dam removal, which okay. is what I know you talked about right. on the previous podcast, yep, yep. and just dam removals in general. Mm-hmm. And then... The second one, and I have no problem being completely open with this. So one of the goals for the podcast for this past year was to highlight some underutilized fisheries, mm-hmm. right? And we're coming up on the end of that year. You know, July is quickly approaching, so oh, yeah. I, I want to make sure I check that off the list. And I know we've talked about underutilized fisheries in the past, but I thought, you know, just let's square it down. Let's get a fisheries biologist on, and let's really hammer some out and set them in stone. Instead of just touching them, touching on them in passing, right. let's, like, focus on them and really right. talk about them. Okay. So, where to start? Let's just go Elkhorn Dam. First things first, Elkhorn Creek. It's the it's the, the hot thing on the street right now. It. I was uh, there last Tuesday. The 8th is when. Oh, you got to see it? I was there cool. as long as anybody besides the guys on the bulldozers. I okay. did. A thunderstorm rolled in on us, and they uh, ran into a couple issues, and they had to get rock delivered. Uh-huh. And there was a lot of time that went by there where nothing was happening, and it was just pouring down rain. So I did not get to see 
the dam itself actually be pulled out. I've seen I've seen videos of it, and you you bet I checked that USGS gauge and I saw that spike where all that water went down the creek. Yeah, it looked like it spiked up, maybe double. I would have liked to have seen that rolling down the yeah. rolling down the creek, but. Yeah, as I was say, I know, I think somebody was telling me, I saw some cool YouTube videos, and then I didn't actually know it came out, because mm-hmm. I thought the rain, I thought, well, that rain that popped up probably messed them up, and then I heard mm-hmm. there's a rock issue, yep. for, and I thought, oh, man, now we got rain, the creeks jumped, it ain't going to happen, and we're going, and uh, here we go again, got to yeah. reschedule. Well, I come in the next day, and they say, do you see the video? The dam's out, and I'm like, "Yeah, no way." And they're like, "Yeah, they worked like 9:30 that night, 9:30 like or 10." I yeah, think I talked to. Uh, so, so you weren't there for the actual removal, right? I was not. Do you know the process that they used to actually do yeah. it? I mean, it was. So I went down. You know it. I went down there and watched it. I mean, it was a lot of work. They had to get that those machines. I mean, a big uh, excavator and yeah. a big uh, powered hammer, like a basically mm-hmm. a big. I don't, I, I'm not a power equipment guy. Yeah, it's so. basically <laughs> it's like a basically a jackhammer on the end of an excavator arm. Yeah, it's and it it's ridiculous. Yeah, it just hammered through that concrete like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. But the way I saw it, if they went, got down on the creek that day with plans of getting it out, and they made the initial, you know, they did the damage to the dam because at first they broke apart a sidewall. Right. That probably made it structurally unsound to the point where they needed to get it out. Mm-hmm. So I got a feeling those guys were going to do everything they possibly could. Right. To make it happen that day. Well, yeah. I mean, the worst part is, is you make a you make a a dam. I mean, everybody knows low head dams got its safety issues mm-hmm. for boaters anyway but then if you put a notch in it and it's doing something even even weirder create a sieve or I, a I mean now, now you you don't want to leave a huge public safety hazard that yeah. you can't get back to for a period of time so yeah i mean kind of once you start you're all in it was it was cool they had to get those big you know the big machinery down in the creek and there, there was a tree line there so yeah. first they had to go through that tree line with that equipment and then they it was really cool watching the uh the excavator go out in the creek and he'd put his little you know, bucket down and check the bottom in a mm-hmm. couple spots, and he'd pull out a little further, and you could see he was just checking the bottom the whole way to see how far out he could go safely. Yeah. And eventually they made a rock bed, which right. was the first issue, ran out of rock. Yep. So I think they got 30 dump trucks of rock delivered that day. Wow. Um, to create the bed. But it, all in all, it was really cool to see. Um, it was a long process because of weather and because of the rock, but like you said, they did get it pulled out. And uh, I called Jim Beam the next morning and asked, to make sure that it got pulled out. Mm-hmm. And they said that, um, you know, 9.30 or, or so at night, they completed the work. And I think those guys checked out at 10.30, the guys running the equipment. Man, you know they were wore out. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and you know, the thing is, I think I talked to you about this on the phone earlier. They had a cutoff of 500 CFS for being able to actually have the machinery in the creek and work mm-hmm. safely or without damaging the machinery. I'm not sure. But they, they couldn't work if it was over 500 CFS. And within, we got all that rain, and within probably an hour or an hour and a half of them actually getting the dam out, the creek shot all the way up. I think it hit 5,000 yeah. the next day. So they got it out just in the, the nick of time. Well, timing couldn't have been better on it. Yeah, Cause, it was perfect. Because we actually were headed back into Frankfurt from being out in the field. And I mean, it was like driving across a lake coming in. I mean, the roads yeah. were like, st- I mean, it was unreal how much rain come down. And I. But so. that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Because all that sediment that was in that pool above that dam had to go somewhere, right? Yep. And if that creek stayed at two or 300 CFS for the next month, it was just all going to be it's there. It's going to sit there. But that 10th, I mean, what did it get up to? 10,000 over? I was starting to say, we had a massive flood over the weekend. We had 10,000, I think, on the gauge at 10,000. Uh, down there at Knights Bridge, Peaks Mill. The last time I saw it this high, I think, was two years ago. Yeah. So it just worked out perfect. They got the dam taken out yeah. within an hour of when they could no longer do the do the work, and then immediately after the dam came out, we got you know the most water in the creek that we've had in years. Well, yeah. So I mean, you, you remove the sediment trap, the yeah. dam that's been holding sediment back for a, a, a century, a, a hundred years, yeah. and you get the perfect weather event. Mm-hmm. You know, luck have it. Yep. And now we've got all that sediment redistributed downstream, mm-hmm. which scours it right back to the rocks and the gravel and yep. all that good hard substrate that they're smallmouth and yeah. rock bass and a lot of our aquatic insects, you know, need. I'll tell you what. And I, so it's it was a perfect storm. I mean. I can't wait to go uh, kayak that section now. Like next time I go to Elkhorn, I'm going to the upper section just because just I want to see it. I got to see it. And yeah. I want to, I want to fish it through. Cause I've never, 
you know, that area by the dam, every time I get, you know, within 30 yards above the dam, I'm putting the fishing pole up and getting yep. ready to go to the left to portage uh -huh. it. And then, you know, I've, I've fished right below the dam on foot before, but when you're in a kayak, you know, you got to shoot downstream and mm -hmm. get through that first riffle and it's 60 yards. So there's a whole section of the creek right there that not only hasn't been seen in a century, but it hasn't been, I've never had the opportunity to fish it really. Right. So I, I'm kind of looking forward to that. And I'm actually going to check the gauge right now because, you know, that creek drops out pretty quickly. It does. I've, I, I actually drive through the forks coming to work every day. Yeah. And I've been looking at it every day coming in because I'm like, as soon as it like gets down and clears up a little bit, like I'm wanting to get back with Jim Beam and actually see if I can go in there and take a look at it. Mm -hmm. Maybe get a few pictures I can uh, stick on our uh, twi got, our Twitter feed for our district. I've got to do that. So we got to shoot that interview with you two to talk about, because yeah. we're doing a segment for the TV show about the dam removal and dam removals in general. Mm -hmm. So part of what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to go shoot an interview with you and Chad with the camera and we'll work that into the segment. And that is, but I want to wait for the creek to drop back down to a a normal level. Yeah, yeah. I started to say right now it's not it's not normal. Uh, I went across Elkhorn down at 127 Monday, and it was, I mean, almost out of its banks. Mm -hmm. It's mean, a, it's it only was, a thousand right now, which isn't bad. Oh, it's dropped a lot then. It's dropped a whole lot. So right, I mean, from two days ago, it's one tenth of what it was. So. Yes. So one thing, one reason I got a feeling that these other podcasters want to talk about this, and you know that it's a a item of interest, not just the Elkhorn Dam, but there are several dams that are getting ready to be taken out. Mm -hmm. uh, Great Crossing in Georgetown, I believe. Uh, there, there's talks of it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that there's anything set in stone yet on it. There's I know been some, some discussions on it. Some of our engineering guys were down at the Elkhorn Dam removal, and they mm -hmm. were watching what the U.S. Fish and Wildlife guys were doing because mm -hmm. they were they wanted to be able to duplicate it right. if they took a dam out. And the one that they were talking about possibly taking out would right. be Great Cross. But yeah, like you said, there's that's not set in stone or anything. Yeah. And then, but Green River Lock and Dam Number Five is scheduled to come out. Uh, I actually was talking to some of our environmental folks. That they're actually the crew that was on Elkhorn that took out the the one at Jim Beam mm -hmm. have actually when they left here they actually went down there. Mm -hmm. They're actually getting all their stuff in place now, and hopefully, weather cooperates. They're actually going to start on that project mid to end of next week. Okay, so these dams are coming out. And so what we're gonna talk about when it comes to the impact to the fishery mm -hmm. is consistent across all these projects and all these dams for the most part. It is, and it doesn't matter what side. I mean, you know, obviously Green River's on a, on a bigger scale than an Elkhorn Creek, but the end result is all the same, mm -hmm. regardless of the scale of the project. Um, you know, what I was telling him earlier was nice is that Elkhorn's kind of a perfect storm because we have this phenomenal smallmouth fishery below this dam. Mm -hmm. We've got this phenomenal smallmouth fishery above the pulled up section of the dam. Mm -hmm. So the recovery blows the silt out, the recovery, you got fish moving upstream and downstream into yeah. this new habitat that's available. Recovery is really fast. But kind of how it works is, is that um, smallmouth, they're stream fish, they're a moving mm -hmm. water fish, they like that good hard bottom. Well, the dam over time becomes a silt trap, makes a really muddy bottom real uniform, I mean, there's not, you know, all these cracks and crevices and flow. And it and it, it's not really creates a lake, mm -hmm. but it doesn't, but it's not a stream anymore or a river. Mm -hmm. So you kind of get this section here that's impounded, that's in flux all the well, time. Well, technically the same amount of water is going through that section that's going through the rest of the creek, but the average depth, like the average depth of the creek might be, let's just say for the sake of conversation, 24 inches, Yeah. right? But in that section, it might be 60 inches. Correct. So that same amount of water that's moving through there is moving much slower. It is, and when water slows down, it lets the, the material drop out. Mm -hmm. the oxygen it, levels go down. So yeah, so yeah, I mean, it, it makes it to where it's not a suitable habitat for a lot of your stream fish. Mm -hmm. So typically when you get in there, your numbers will dramatically be lower and you see your species composition change. Instead of smallmouth, then you start seeing, you know, largemouth and maybe some spotted bass, but at very low densities. Mm -hmm. um, you start seeing some of your bluegill and things show up a little bit. And, uh, you know, that's not what people go stream fishing, mm -hmm. to go fish a big, slow, slack pool of water yeah. for a few largemouth bites. Yeah, They're out there for rock bass. They're out there for smallmouth. Mm -hmm. uh, the channel catfish do really well. So, I mean... Most people who want to go largemouth bass fishing go to a lake mm -hmm. or a pond. So, 
Um, yeah, I mean, that's what that pool up there looked like, up above it. It's just a straight, muddy <laughs> bank, and, and there's just no habitat diversity. I'll be honest with you, when I was down there at the removal, I keep, of course, fishing poles in my car. Mm -hmm. And, we, you know, we started getting that delay waiting on rock. I sat there, and I thought to myself, well, I could be the last person to catch a fish out of here. There you so go. I went and grabbed one of my rods out of the car, and it had a uh, 3 8 ounce, you know, um, jig on it. Uh -huh. More like a, a largemouth bait, like a pond bait mm -hmm. or a lake bait. And typically I would have probably cut that bad boy off and put something on there to target smallmouth with, but mm -hmm. I was looking at that water and I said, you know, I think this thing will work as well as any will. Mm -hmm. Now I made a few casts, I didn't catch anything because I was supposed to be working. So right. I couldn't spend too much time fishing. Right. But um, it didn't look like smallmouth habitat, kind of like what you were saying. When mm -hmm. I'm fishing for smallmouth, I'm looking for the riffles. I'm mm -hmm. looking for the, the slack water and the eddies and the vegetation, you know, growing up on those rocky banks. Yep. I really like a mix of rock and mud. Mm -hmm. and, you know, different textures on the bottom, and that was pretty much like you described it, just a mud bank with mm -hmm. mud bottom, and, you know, there was some debris and some some uh, habitat in there, but it didn't really look like, you know, something I would normally want as stream fish. Right. And, I mean, people that stream fish, I mean, you go out there, you're like, hey, I like the nice braided channels. I, li I like to fish those little eddies mm -hmm. behind those water willow beds, yeah. and right at the head of the riffles before they drop. I mean, all yeah. those... And you know you get into that section with that dam, and that I mean that just doesn't exist. So long, but it's coming back. Exactly, and it, it'll probably be back in like two or three days, based on um, the uh, water level. Yeah, one of the questions I got in the other uh, other podcasts are like, you know, it's kind of like, how long does this re recovery effort take? And I'm like, well, based on how it's all shook out, I'd say as soon as the water runs back down, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if you don't go out there and go, wow, what is this place? This is yeah. cool looking. And I wouldn't be surprised if the fish don't show up just as quick. I mean, it, it could have been a two or three month recovery, but because of the huge amount of rain we got, I mean, it probably sped it up yep. so much. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, normally being a creek guy, I hate when the creeks go, you know, to the, to the same flow as the Kentucky River, but in an area a tenth the size. Right. But this is just perfect. Oh, yeah. So, so ultimately, it's going to be better for the fish yeah. because they can travel up and down and they have the... The landscape, the environment, you know, the 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 rock, the the vegetation, the flow, they have everything that they want being stream fish. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be better for the fish in general. It's going to be better for kayakers because there's no longer a big obstruction. Yeah, I mean, there was a huge public safety uh, issue people, associated with that. People and I mean, drown there. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, there. I mean, I've been in Frankfurt since 2006, and I mean, there's been multiple drownings at yeah. that dam. Yeah. Um, I'm. A, I live over in Scott County. I mean, we just recently had a drowning at at, at our, our dam over there at a, yeah. one of our parks, and I mean, yeah, people underestimate the power of these these, these dams, the turbulence how fast you can get in a bad way and, and there's not a good opportunity to recover from that yeah so it's 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 a win for from from the paddling the recreational aspect it's a win for the fisheries uh, -huh. uh jim beam was good partners uh you know they, they actually own the dam yeah and uh their need for the dam and that pool of water had, had changed and went away so uh, they were definitely looking to try to do something that would be friendly to the creek and to the environment yeah the um well, you know, I was going to speculate on something, but you know, their their dam was originally created for fire suppression Correct. way back in the day, and the, since then they moved a city water system. Mm -hmm. They have a huge water tank there on campus that's full of water, and they're having you know, I'm sure, major water lines that can ship water in very quickly. Mm -hmm. So they have a new fire suppression system. Dam wasn't needed, and um, I think some of the people at, that worked at Jim Beam had been impacted by some of the deaths that did take place there. Because yeah. they're they're there, right. you know, they're the ones on scene first, mm -hmm. and typically the ones probably calling nine one one or who. So I feel like some of the people that worked at Beam wanted that to be taken out, mm -hmm. and you know when it's no longer in in use or not needed anymore, then I think they used it as a good opportunity to go ahead and get it taken out. And that's kind of where we're at with a lot of our dams, yeah. low head dams around the state, is that you know the the reason they were built no longer exist, their purposes went away. Yeah. And they're, they're not really a benefit, you know, for what their intentions were, you know, 100 years ago. Well, like commerce on the Green River. I mean, how many tugboats or barges do you see on the Green River shipping goods up and down anymore? Once you get off the lower river, right, right off the Ohio, yeah. it doesn't happen anymore. And that's what those dams were originally built for, They, right? they were built to move uh, commerce up and down the river to all the communities along, yeah. along the way. And, you know, of course, you know, when you have, you know, better better transportation and better roads and things like yeah. that and you know that's why it's done now airplanes and, and interstates and yeah things like that have made those dams you know irrelevant or useless mm -hmm. so now we're kind of seeing like you know 
200 years ago or 150 years ago, you, you see these pictures of, you know, the streams and how they originally looked. The Ohio River is a really good example. Yeah. Average depth of the Ohio River used to be 2.5 feet, and now it's 24 feet, mm -hmm. you know? And when you see the, the change in the river and the landscape and you think about how it affects those fish, like one that I thought was interesting is a paddlefish. Mm -hmm. I caught one of those not long ago, and those paddlefish have been around for something like 165 million years. Mm -hmm. And they did great the whole time, and then about 100 years ago, their numbers started going in decline. Right. right? Isn't it kind of crazy that a, an animal can live like so successfully for 165 million years, and then over the course of 100 years, they can, you know, their numbers just plummet down? Right. And so now we're kind of seeing this trend where we're getting away from obstructions on the waterways and, and the rivers and the creeks, and we're returning things back to natural. Which, yeah. And that, I think the paddlefish is probably a good example of one that would benefit from stuff like this. Not that you see them in Elkhorn Creek very mm -hmm. often, but. Right, I mean, there's a potential in the lower, but yeah. you know, and this is not something that's necessarily unique to the state of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is kind of a movement that's going on all, all across our country. Well, it's good, it's good. So, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, again, you know, we're looking, we're looking at our, our environment, our our fisheries and, and what we can do to leave the earth in a little bit better shape than we found it, so. It's kind of like uh, the bald eagle, you know. We uh, went to all still shot for waterfowl and things like that, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, with other things also, right. bald eagles are, I mean, you see them everywhere now. Yep. And you know, that's kind of the same example. We, we started moving away from the things we were doing, thing, the way we were doing things. We haven't really sacrificed much as, you know, people as far right. as, you know, we just found better ways to do them. Mm -hmm. And now we're we're actually consciously trying to get, you know, the streams, the waterways, the ecosystem as a whole back to how it should be. And right. you, you can see how it helps the species just by looking at the, the bald eagle. Oh yeah. A lot of people probably don't realize how fish uh, actually reproduce. Like, you know, the paddlefish, that, that's one, just one example. I mean, their, their eggs actually tumble downstream. Mm -hmm. They need moving water. They gotta have it for it to work. And they need to move upstream so mm -hmm. that they can have their eggs tumble downstream. Mm -hmm. And they can't get stuck to the bottom and things like sediment. Mm -hmm. or, so, they, or, or they die, they suffocate. Exactly, and that's how a lot of fish mm -hmm. are. Like if I'm not mistaken, white bass and a lot of the species like that, that's why they make runs up into mm -hmm. creeks and headwaters. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to hit on a little bit of the benefit when it, to the fishery. Oh yeah. And you know, we put a video up on the Kentucky Field Facebook page. It's like a one minute highlight of the dam removal. And of yeah. course, there's some comments that come on there, you know, like this dam was for flood control, you ruined. I mean, that's not the case with any no. of these dams. They no, are, they're not, they don't provide any flood control. Well, the ones that do are the, you know, the or U.S. Army Corps the operational. Core, the Corps and TVA, yeah. those big reservoirs. Uh, but yeah, low head down on creeks does nothing for flooding. I mean, it does, there's no water control there at all. Mm -hmm. other no, than I mean, just whatever comes down the creek just flows right over the top. I mean, they don't even slow it, slow it down, you know, to any extent got a helicopter. I wonder if the mics pick up that helicopter. That one's not as close as the lawnmower. No, sometimes they get loud. Oh yeah. I mean, it kind of makes me nervous because this building sits right at the end of the runway, what? which is a horrible place to do a podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, I walked in and I, it looked like there's a plane actually going to land on the building when that's I walked in. That's what I worry about. <laughs> well, that's what I'm I walked about. in and I was like, wow, I could wave at those. I mean, I think I see the pilot. I think yeah. I could wave at them. Oh, they go right overhead. I'm talking like 30, Close. 40. You think that we wouldn't put the, the sound, you know, the recording room smack dab at the very end of a runway. <laughs> you know, you, you can't control everything, you know. It was here before I got here, so there what, you go. what am I doing? Something else that I wanted to talk about and that we already, you know, said we were gonna talk about, underutilized fisheries, okay? And I think that the first thing you have to do is say, what is an underutilized fishery? Because I'll be honest with you, my opinion of it kind of got, kind of did a 180 and then a 180 back, and right now I have no idea which direction. Okay. I'm leaning when it All comes right. to underutilized fishing. All right, what are you thinking? Well, you know, uh, I went fishing with Chad, fun fishing again, on the Ohio River with a couple other guys that fish the river with me a lot, right? Okay. And one of the complaints that a lot of people have who fish the, the falls of the Ohio area is that, man, just so many people, right? So many people. And, you know, we, we got back to the, to the truck, we loaded the boat on the trailer, pulled up in the parking lot, and we were all just kind of standing around talking. And Chad said that it was an underutilized fishery. And I kind of looked at the other guys and I looked at Chad and I said, I, you know, I'm not really sure if I, I, you know, there's 50 people down here every day, all day, you know, lines crossing like crazy. And he said, well, did you see those white bass we were catching? And we were catching white bass that were two and a half, three pounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, bigger than you'd ever see in the Salt River or Nolan. Uh -huh. And he said, 
that's how you know it's underutilized. He said, there's a city of a million people sitting right there and, and this stream, he said, the reason that white bass don't get this big in the Salt River is because they get put on a stringer way before they ever have the opportunity to get this size. These fish have more opportunity to, to grow here. They aren't being caught and kept at the same rate that they are in other bodies of water. So does that mean that the Ohio River is underutilized in comparison to, you know, Nolan or, or well, salt? So, and see, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that because, um, because just because a fish gets bigger, grows better one place versus the other, doesn't that really have anything to do with the fishing pressure. Yeah. It has more to do with the environment we're in, um, the longevity of, you know, how long that fish can live. Yeah. Uh, a fish at Taylorsville may only live four or five years where fish on the Ohio River or Nolan, for example, may live more like seven or eight years. I do. I do. So there's a longevity thing. Um, there's a forage-based thing. There's a water quality aspect. So there's to a it. lot that goes into there, it. There, there's, a, there's a lot more things that play into it before you, you say angling pressure dictates that. I will say, though, that down there, you know, you see a lot of people fishing. You see some stringers, but mm -hmm. as far as uh, it being a white bass fishery, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the number of fish aren't taken out of there in comparison to like the size mm -hmm. that it, the, the number of fish it probably holds mm -hmm. as get taken out of a salt or an Olen or a Dix or, you know, one of those white bass run, your, your typical white bass run areas. Right. But that doesn't mean that other species aren't getting hammered down there. You right. know, it just, Chad kind of the way he, he worded it, it made sense because, you know, people aren't just walking out of there with stringers full of white bass. Mm -hmm. um, and th that could be a reason they're getting bigger there in addition to other things. Right. But, you know, I was thinking you're right, you know, that you got this huge body of water in the Ohio River full of fish and you got a million people sitting there and, you know, you're right, there probably should be more pressure down here. I mean, I don't really think that that's an underutilized fishery because I still get lines going across my legs mm -hmm. when I'm fishing down there and I'm not right. a fan of that. But So I looked up underutilized, the definition of it, while okay. you were on the phone a minute ago. All right. And I, I found two definitions, and I didn't like either one of them. One, the first one was to underuse something. Okay. And the second one was to utilize less than the full, to utilize less than fully or below its possible use. And both of those use the word in the definition. Yeah, so, so I was told in school you can't do that. I know. So that's that's what <laughs> Oxford and, and uh, the, that's what the dictionary said when I Googled it. So I didn't like either one of the definitions. So, so, I, so I was right when I was in school using the word in the definition. Yeah, go back to your teachers <laughs> now, man. Tell yeah. them. Say, hey, they, the dictionary can do it. I can do it. But so basically, I mean, to less than potential. I mean, that's what I'm looking at. And I don't know if an underutilized body of water, some eastern Kentucky stream that gets one fisherman every month, you know, you know, but there's nobody around to fish it. Or is it somewhere local where there is, there are a lot of people? Is is underutilization based on the people or the resource itself? You know, that's kind of where I'm where I'm at. Right, because I was going to say, you know, there's some opportunities. I mean, of course, you know, Kentucky, we're, we're blessed with the just sheer volume of streams and creeks that's mm -hmm. fishable. Problem is, a lot of them are on, on uh, private, yeah. private lands. You can't get to them. So, you're talking about something underutilized. Well, you just, they're underutilized because you just physically can't get to them legally well, or without permission. permission. Right. Or you can float them. Yeah. So, but I mean, they're not they're not highly utilized, and some of them have really good opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know. So, you know, that's kind of that's pops to my mind. Then I'm like, you know, then um, you know, you look at usage based on water, the amount of acreage or something is, and then you know, because you get this idea like, well, if this lake's 3,000 acres, you know, we should average as many trips per acre. Uh, then you compare that to something else and it's yeah. either not as good or, you know. You know. Like you're looking at, you know, Guest Creek and Taylorsville, two lakes we talked about earlier. One yeah. of them's 10 times the size of the other one. So you want to say in your mind, it should get 10 times the, the use, right? Yeah, it probably does there. Yeah, Taylorsville's a <laughs> Taylorsville's a beast by itself. So can you, can you think of any water bodies that just in your mind that, that would be public access that, man, those just, people just don't know about it or take advantage of it or fish it like they should? I mean, I think the one, and, I, and I'll say, I, I'm kind of guilty of it myself, is, um, and I've been hearing good reports, and I've kind of been taken back, is the uh, the Lower Kentucky River. Lower Kentucky River. You know, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, let's talk, you know, like, uh, now, from the Ohio River upstream to through Pool 5. I was going to say, when you say the lower Kentucky River, that's actually, because when you look at it on a map, the you know, it's, yeah. so the lower being if it's flowing downhill. It's, 
it's yeah. lower. So from the Ohio River ups like through one through five, let's say. And this is four that's here. Yeah, so Frankfurt is four. Uh, then you know, then you know, we've got then we've got Lockport and down at Gratz will put you in pool one. So five is, is Lawrenceburg. So, so five is yeah, Lawrenceburg, Selvisa, that yeah. area. So basically Lawrenceburg to the Ohio River. And you know, I I drive across those bridges. I go out on the Kentucky River. Sometimes you don't see a lot of people fishing. No, I mean I th we get people that go out and just uh, for recreation, just boat riding, you know, mm -hmm. you know, tubing that kind of stuff, swimming. And I, again, I mean, I know we had the issue with with the with the with the bourbon spill a few mm -hmm. years ago, and you know we did have a pretty substantial fish kill. So it kind of made you like be like, well, you know. But I tell you what, I've I've run into somebody I work in the lake, and they said, "Man, the the fishing has been really good on the river." And I was like, yeah. I was kind of taken back, like, "What are you talking about?" And they said, "So we're catching we're catching a lot of bass, a lot of smallmouth on like mm -hmm. the lower river." They said, "Now again, you got to target the right habitat. You know, you want to hit rocky those rocky banks with some current, but they're like, you can go catch fish." And I'm like, "Obviously, really? blow each dam is good fishing opportunity." Yep. And, and then you got the feeder creeks, like, I mean, Elkhorn dumps into the Kentucky River right mm -hmm. down here. I'm sure that's a good spot. It I, is. I've heard just talking to people that it's really a good musky fishery that doesn't get near the use that, that you think it would. So, I mean, yeah, I think the musky, I, I, again, I think, I think the thing with, like, you talk about, like, Kentucky River is that, um, you know, we ha we the access is fairly limited, but we do have public ramps for every pool. And you know, you, you get talk about moving water and things, and people kind of get weird about it. And uh, but yeah, I mean, we stock musky in it. I mean, the catfishing's awesome. Yeah, uh, been hearing phenomenal reports below the tailwaters um, for the the Maroni species, white bass, hybrid striped bass. Um, even even got some good sauger reports this winter. You know, when the river was right. How has it bounced back since the fish kill? Um. It's 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 coming back. I mean, since since then we've actually have had some really good shad spawns. Mm -hmm. Again, typically that's kind of one of the limiting things for a lot of our sport fishes. They haven't had those spawns to for food. Mm -hmm. So we've had them. We've had the shad spawns. We've had silver size and emerald shiners, and um, you know, so we got a lot of fours right now. Um, I think the numbers, you know, even though they are low, uh, those fish are growing. Mm -hmm. uh, we've actually had really good spring this year. The river was actually green. I don't know if I've seen the Kentucky it. River green in like four or five yeah. years. So, I mean, we've had an opportunity for fish to spawn and make more fish for mm -hmm. us moving forward. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, if we if we can hit it like that, I think I think it's it's bouncing back fast. Yeah, when I went down there during the fish kill, and this might not be the best pitch for fishing in Kentucky, but when I was there during yeah. the fish kill, I was shocked at the fish that I was seeing because I was somebody who hadn't really ever fished the Kentucky River and I was seeing crappie and largemouth, smallmouth, musky, um, huge catfish, all these fish. And I was thinking to myself, man, I wish I would have fished this more. So once it, you know, it's bouncing back and once it's fully back, it's really going to be a spot that. I, I think for like for me, especially, I mean, I'm an angler and, you know, been on the Kentucky River and it was eye opening to see what the potential yeah was i mean during that i mean it was i probably didn't give it enough credit yeah that's how i felt and 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 you hear people talk and tell stories about what they're catching and you're kind of like eh, i don't know yeah you're like are, are you are you exaggerating because you because you, you just got this in your mind but what i you know what you had in your mind was wrong yeah and uh and like i said you know you hear one report and you're like well okay you know that's good they're happy but then when you start hearing it from multiple people at different places and different times, you're like, there's something to this. Kentucky River is kind of like a well-kept secret. And you uh, know? it is. The people who fish it know how to do it. And they, and they fish do it. well. They fish it a lot and they do well. But you're, you're right, there's kind of a stigma about the Kentucky River uh, yeah. as far as fishing goes. But I, I, I'm with you. If those fish pile up below those dams, and you can get on Kentucky Field's YouTube and you can watch us fishing, you know, and catching sauger and white bass, like you're saying, and yeah. uh, you know, you, you can. There was a huge blue that was caught out of the Kentucky River just last year, the year before. It was. I mean, I remember the guy also caught one that went over 90 out of Taylorsville. It's Lake. uh, it was down here at Benson Creek, right in Frankfort. Yeah, Benson yeah. Creek's a yeah, good spot. Yeah. So I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, it's 
you, you, I mean, you, you, we're talking about it, and you, you, we're stalking it. I mean, mm -hmm. so I mean, a lot of the fish, the catfish, reproduce on their own. But you know, following the the kill we had, we, uh, I mean, we have went back in. We've stocked some catfish and blues. Uh, we do stock it annually with muskie. Mm -hmm. uh, we stock the uh, hybrid striped bass. Um, you know, we got sauger. We stock in there. Mm -hmm. You know, on the upper river there, we got walleye. We put in there. So I mean, there, you know. We are trying to push an opportunity. I think part of it too runs back into get on the USGS, check water levels, mm -hmm. figure out what's appropriate for you. Because, you know, I mean, I know it makes this fishing a little bit different. You go to a lake and it's pretty much always fine. You mm -hmm. don't really think about it. You just hook the boat up and go. Yeah. You know, where the river, you got maybe do a little bit more homework to make sure you're getting out there at an appropriate yeah. water level and being safe. There's but, good online resources. Lee, when he was here, you know, with us, he would always hammer the uh, USGS or the Army Corps of Engineers yeah. website. Oh, yeah. They're phenomenal resources. So you can get online. You can probably just Google. Well, actually, what I do just now, I looked up the, the height of uh, Elkhorn Creek, mm -hmm. and I just type in USGS Elkhorn Creek. You could probably do USGS Kentucky River. Yeah. You know, and it would pull a gauge for you. It would, absolutely. So, so it's just that simple to look up. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a little bit more difficult if you're looking for what they're doing on a U.S. Army Corps dam. You need to go to the Army Corps' yeah. website or call the number. It's a little bit more difficult, but for the Kentucky River, it, it can be done. Yeah. Um, just, you know, with Google in about 10 seconds. Yeah, I mean, you can find that out. Hop on our website, find places to fish, and you can select the Kentucky River, and it'll give you Google directions, get you right to a ramp. Yeah. Um, so, you know... Give it a shot. What uh, you got a second underutilized waterway? I mean, hmm. I'm, you know, it's hard to think of an underutilized waterway because a lot of times there are places where you yourself haven't been. You know? Right, right. It's tough. You know, um, I'm wanting to say like the upper parts of Elkhorn and your central fisheries, but I mean, do the areas of around Georgetown and Lexington, the South Fork and the North Fork, get get as much pressure as you think they could? I remember I used to go to Happy Jack's Pumpkin Patch. Which okay. was in uh, off Leestown Road, yeah. coming out of Lexington, and mm -hmm. they used to allow you to park there and fish. Okay, and so we would wade fish that section of South Elkhorn, and the fishing through there was awesome, awesome. Since then, I think Happy Jacks is has closed, but that that stretch of the creek, I would never really see a lot of people in, and there has to be public access points to South Fork of Elkhorn and North Fork. See, see, I, I've lived over in Scott County, Georgetown, so. We're lucky we have a lot of access points mm -hmm. to the creek. You know, we've got several parks. We've got multiple ramps. You know, we've got some, you know, county pull-off areas that they've made at some bridges for us and, um, you know, but down to Schweitzer Bridge and, mm -hmm. you know, parks. So, uh, you know, we got a lot of opportunity for access to the creek. The problem is South Fork's not, not as user-friendly because mm -hmm. it's kind of one of those you get these big gaps to where you don't have an access site to where – you put in and then it's like almost too far yeah. to get to the next takeout in a day's time. So, um, you know, it's probably is a little bit more underutilized just because, and again, I think that comes more down to the availability access. of access. Well, here's one for you. Now, I think WMAs in general are underutilized. Mm -hmm. Like I go out to the WMA, I take my dog out there just to run sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't, I don't see anybody else out there doing that. You know, I just go out there and hike sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think that the fact that it's a it's labeled a wildlife management area and people think it's just for hunting, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, it's not called a park. You know, it's right. it's not it's not a city park. People don't think about going there to do as much as they as they could. And there's ponds and lakes on pretty much all the WMAs. Yeah, there is. And they get, I'm sure, managed and stocked by the department. Yeah, so, I mean, that's something we definitely check on them, you know, keep tabs on just to see what's going on. Like right now, in my mind, I'm thinking of this pond out there on Veterans Memorial. I fish it to death. You do? Oh, yeah. Do a lot of people? I tell you what, there, there's a handful of people down there. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's one of them that a lot of people, you know, you got to hike a little ways in to get to it. Mm -hmm. But typically, the payoffs where it's a really nice bluegill and bass lake. Yeah. And uh, you know, the other one that comes to mind, like when I was in uh, college over in Richmond. So you went to EKU. So you're thinking of yeah. Miller Welch, the ponds out there. Well, out there at the Central Kentucky Wildlife Management Area. Yeah. 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 There's two at, or three good ponds out there. Oh yeah, I would go out there and park and just walk to them things, and I mean. At the time, when I was in college, the biggest bass I ever caught was out of one of them ponds. Yeah. I really feel like people, just the general public, people who are hardcore hunting and fishing and explore WMAs, you know, go deer hunt them, go mm -hmm. do other things there, they probably realize that 
these ponds and these these water bodies are here and they can fish them and it's worthwhile. But mm -hmm. I don't think that your general people like Kristen, my girlfriend, she had never stepped foot on a WMA before she started dating me, you know? Yeah. And then we went out there and now, now she goes to WMAs all the time to, you know, just enjoy nature in different ways. And you can, you can fish these WMAs and there's ponds that are managed by the department and probably don't get near the pressure that your Lake Shelby and Shelbyville does that's probably nowhere near as good for fishing. Well, a lot of those, what we walk into on the management areas, it's, it, I mean, one thing about it is, is you typically walk in and you may see one or two other people all day. Yeah. And, you know, we've definitely got there and we'll do the hiking. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can walk forever on these things. There's some really big, you know, tracks of land here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, we got the Kentucky River, uh, the WMA. Boone Track. Yeah. Well, of course, we got everybody's heard about Kinnaman Lake up there, because, but you know, then we, we also got uh, three other fishable ponds there, and um, you know, I think we've publicized that well. I think they probably do a little bit better on fishing pressure mm -hmm. than maybe like a Veterans or Central Kentucky. Yeah. I know we got the new Rock Castle Wildlife Management Area. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's it's just it's sprinkled with ponds everywhere. Yeah, I don't see why. The I mean, you're you're right. When we go to those WMAs for different things for shoots, I mean, it's most of the time we'll see the pond and nobody's fishing it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the opposite of Sportsman's Lake up here, you right. know, 100 yards away. And I see people pull really good fish out of this lake where there's 150 fishing poles a day in it. So yep. I can only imagine that some of those WMA ponds, especially the bigger ones that one of veterans, it's got like a nice wooded bank and usually some moss or some logs and some debris out there. Um, I, I feel like those WMA ponds have got to be underutilized in comparison to a lot of bodies of water. Yeah, I mean, and I, I mean, also I'm guilty of it. Before I came to Frankfurt and worked for fisheries, if you talk about a management area, I strictly went straight to hunting. Yeah, that's all I did too. I mean, 100%. And then somebody at school got talking about it and I'm like, well, I'm gonna go try it. Yeah. And then I'm like, I mean, my kids, that's where they've kind of cut their teeth getting hooked on fishing is veterans. Veterans. I mean, because you can go out there, it's an experience, you can hike, you can explore, and you got fish typically pretty willing to bite because again, they're not overly pressured. Another good thing about the kids aspect of it is I doubt that the WMA ponds, and I'm sure there's a, you know, an example of where I'm wrong out there, some bad apples, but mm -hmm. I doubt they get the uh, less desirable things happening there that you get at a lot of city parks and places like that. Yeah, you know? the, uh, yeah. you get some of these public places and there's a lot of extracurricular yeah. stuff going on. And sometimes you just want to like cover your kids ears and yeah. things so they don't hear stuff. So like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like, I'm thinking Kristen, she, when she goes hiking by herself and stuff, WMA might be the safest place yeah. <laughs> to go hike because the only people that are out there are people who are there with good intentions, you know? Yeah, typically, uh, typically you're right. Yeah, like I said, I'm sure that you can show me an example or somebody could give me one, but mm -hmm. that's not the case. But WMA, water water bodies, ponds, and- That's a good one. Yeah, I didn't I, think about that, but that is a good one. Popped in my mind right Yeah, that was good was because it is, because I mean, I forget about them. Yeah. And heck, we work on them and I forget about them. I, uh, like I said, when I, I first started exploring WMAs, it was when I went to EKU and it was Miller Welch, Central Kentucky Wildlife Management Area. I started, mm -hmm. I was an hour and a half from home and I wanted somewhere I could go squirrel hunting or right. deer hunting. So that's, I started exploring that WMA and that was all they were for the longest time to me was a place to go when I was away from home to, to deer hunt or squirrel hunt or something like that. But now I find myself going to WMAs, even you know driving right past my private property and going to a WMA for, for various things. Um, you know, a lot of times we go out there just to hike and walk around and not have to worry about other people or you know other people with, with aggressive dogs or you know just people on trails. It's just a place to get away. And that's how we advertise them sometimes, you know, a place to, to bird watch or hunt or fish or enjoy nature, all those things, so. See, my kids like them because you don't have to stay on a trail. Yeah, you can do you, you, you make your own trail. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's not these established trails and it's like, I mean, it literally is a just, you just go on this adventure yeah. through the it, woods. It's basically like a, a big block of land that you can utilize. That's just, it's, uh, it's you know, fairly undeveloped yeah. in, in that aspect. And yeah, it's just it's just it's just a big adventure, and the kids love it. There are rules, but as long as you're not, you know, like building a shelter or disturbing the right. nature, you know, if you're within the yeah, you just can't camp and build fires, and yeah. you know, but yeah, I mean, you can go explore all you want. Yeah, and I mean, it's actually like something that they want you to do. You yeah. know, <laughs> the department buys these pieces of land; they don't want them sitting idle. You know, no, I mean, they're 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 opportunities, and they want we want people to utilize them for sure. 
All right, we got to come up with a third underutilized WMA. I, I, um, when I made my notes earlier, I wrote down one, two, three, because I wanted to jot these down. Okay. So a third underutilized water body, or I'm going to leave this spot blank, and that's going to bug me. Huh. So I'm going to I'm going to think about it here. I really think that, man, it, it's tough to think of an underutilized body of water because the underutilized ones are usually the ones that you don't hear about or don't know about or haven't been to. Right. When so, I lived in Richmond, there were a lot of creeks that I didn't feel like got the pressure they could have held. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think outside the box here. So we've kind of hit on like, you know, Kentucky River, stream stuff, you know, maybe because it's an access issue or whatnot. I'll tell you another problem we're having right now is that you're the central fisheries biologist and I was born and raised in Shelby County, lived in Madison County, Franklin County, and Jefferson County. So right. I don't have the knowledge of what's in far west Kentucky or far east Kentucky. Oh, that's you know, fair. I'm sure the people in those parts of the state are listening right now and they're like, you know, slamming their fist on their car dash, like yelling the name of an underutilized water body. They're probably on like number 10 on their yeah. list. Yeah. <laughs> we're I mean, like, I, going, we're sitting there like, huh, number three, what could it be? And one, I mean, it's not going to be for catch and keep at all, but the streams in the, the gorge itself. As many people as that go to the gorge to hike and backpack and camp and do all these things, I mean, there is Swift Camp Creek, Chimney Top Creek, Indian Creek. There's all these creeks that flow through those valleys, and they're stocked with, with yeah, trout. They're trout. They're, they're trout streams. It's a different type of fishing. It's not like you're going to be looking for a meal. It's not like you're going to be catching big fish. But, mm -hmm. I mean, for the number of people I see in the gorge, which is thousands of people a year, I see maybe one or two people that are fishing. Well, I know when we would hike there when I was in college, we'd hike there, I mean, a ton. Yeah. And every once in a while, you'd see somebody, like, hiking down a trail with a fishing pole. Very rarely. Very rare. But it would catch you off guard. You're like, well, yeah. are they lost? Like, what are they, you know, what are they doing? Yeah. And, and then you get down to that stream, and it looks like there's nothing there, right? It's mm -hmm. like four it, inches deep. of It's just, crystal clear, yeah. and you're like. But it's all about that pool that's 150 yards downstream that the mm -hmm. trail doesn't go next to. Right. And that's kind of cool, too, because that's exploring in itself, too. Once you get off the trails in the gorge, and you're actually just out there off trail in the wilderness, I can see how catching six inch brook trout could be really cool yeah you know, to go out there and do it i mean yeah because you've, you've put a lot of effort and then you get that sense of satisfaction that hey this yeah. this worked out and I, you know i found a spot and maybe you know people don't know about everybody and, likes their secret fishing spot yeah i mean there's something That's to be said hard. about it i'm trying to think of where my secret fishing spot is like i don't really feel like i, I, have, I have one, one. <laughs> most of my secret fishing spots are spots that you know i go to and there's all kinds of people. And I'm one of those people, when I go fishing, I, I really don't mind other people being around, mm -hmm. you know? I kind of like talking to people and seeing what other people are catching. I don't need to be by myself to, to be happy, but that's I don't really go to the underutilized spots. One, because I don't know about that many of them. I think that what you said, the Lower Kentucky River is a good point. One of my buddies was trying to get me to go down there uh, uh, in the spring for muskie. He was telling me, he's a Franklin County guy, uh -huh. and he was telling me about these people he'd been talking to that were just swearing by the muskie fishing and the Kentucky River. Like I said, once you hear enough of it, you can't just say, oh, they're crazy. Yeah. I mean, you're like, there's, I mean, there's something going on that's good down there. Well, those sauger fishermen catch them on, you know, sauger jigs sometimes. Mm -hmm. I know I know a guy who caught a 42-inch muskie down below Lock 4 here in Frankfurt sauger fishing. Yeah. And there's people that go out there specifically to target muskie. And if yeah. somebody's doing that, then, you know, you, you're already hard up enough trying to catch muskie. Yeah. You know, you aren't going to spend your time going somewhere if you don't, if they're not there. Oh, yeah, because they're, they're hard enough to catch when you know yeah. they're there. So if people who are muskie guys are going to the Kentucky River to fish for them, that tells you that there's something to it. Oh yeah, definitely. The other one that I would that I would say I think is underutilized, and you would probably definitely be able to speak to this, is the Ohio River, not at the dams. So not at Markland yeah. or Smithland or McAlpin or Olmstead or any of those dams, but just the main stretches of the Ohio River. And the, and it's actually kind of impressive how good the river is. I mean, I've always I mean I used to work on the river mm -hmm. before I come to the district and. I mean, we'd go out shocking for catfish. We'd go out shocking for, you know, bass, mm. you know. You would come back and you'd just be like, that was impressive. Crappie, mm -hmm. phenomenal. We've tried to highlight the Ohio River for, because you got to think, it, it runs along 600 and something miles of Kentucky's border. Right. right. And I would say that I, I wouldn't be afraid to say 90% of Kentucky's population is probably within an hour. Of, oh, probably of so. Of that body of water, because you got Lexington and Louisville and Northern Kentucky and 
you know, there's so many people that live pretty close to the Ohio River, and it runs along so much of the border, but you don't really hear about people using it for aside from the dams. Right, yeah, you hear about tailwater fisheries. Yeah, but we went out with a guy, actually it was Sean Weeda, who owns Weeda Marine up in northern Kentucky. Okay. Um, we went out with him and bass fish the Ohio River. Just up there, you know, the main mm-hmm. Ohio River, everybody thinks about this big slug of, of kind of brownish water, mm-hmm. moving pretty slow. And he would go, put his boat on the Ohio River, and he would go and, and hit Feeder Creek, and then jump down to another Feeder Creek, and mm-hmm. jump down, and he would fish the mouth of, you know, two or three or four of those creeks, and easily get a limit of, you know, catch plenty of fish. He was a tournament bass guy that fished lakes and stuff all over the U.S., but he hooks his boat up, and he goes to the Ohio River and runs up in creeks, and he says he never sees anybody out there. Well, I mean, we've been out there working, and I mean, it... it it, it, they're just, you know, there's certain stories that just stand out in your mind. Mm-hmm. Like, we pulled into a creek one day, and there was a guy fishing kind of that mouth, like you're talking about. And there was two guys in a boat, and they sat there and caught white bass after white bass as fast as they could catch them the whole time we were sitting there. Uh-huh. And I was just like, man, I'd give anything for a fishing pole right now. Yeah. You know, that's, that is awesome. Yeah. And I was like, who wouldn't enjoy that? I feel like the Ohio River, because those guys probably knew what they were doing, right? Mm-hmm. And Weta, he knew what he was doing. And we went crappie fishing with a guy, Jeremy Mattingly, on the show last year, crappie fishing the Ohio River. And it might be one of those things where you, you need to know what you're doing. Like you need to, you probably have to go a couple times and figure it out, you know? You do, because I don't, I, don't, I don't know that, you know, you can necessarily just pull up and just pick any random bank and, and expect yeah to be maybe overly successful but the there's is, definitely some hot spots but the thing is once you get out there and you go three or four times you've kind of figured you got something mm-hmm. figured out it's probably one of those places where the fishing could be as good as anywhere and you've got it to yourself because there, there aren't going to be a slug of boats out there like taylorsville lake when we went last week you know <laughs> We, we, you're laughing because you know. I know, yeah. You know, Chad's never anywhere on time, and he was there 15 minutes early, ready. To, he already had the boat back then before I pulled in. He was ready to go. And when we got in the water, he was like, there's a 6 o'clock tournament. we got to beat him there. And, you know, it's pedal to the metal and try to hit to the spot. Yeah. And it's not going to be like that on the Ohio River. You know, you're definitely not going to be having to fight for spots. No, you'll have your choice of the spots, and honestly, the fishing can be really good. Some of the most impressive crappie shocking I've ever yeah. done has been on the Ohio River. Really? I mean, hands down, some of the most, I mean, they as far it. as numbers and for quality. Yeah. I mean, just it was just insane. It's a crappie. Oh, I mean, I'm telling you, it it would it would make anybody's jaw drop to see the amount of crappie we've, we've, we've shocked. I believe up. it. You probably shock them out in big pods, too, don't you? You, to, get, you get schoolies. Typically, when you find them, you find a bunch of them. Yeah, so yeah, so you just got to move around. But when you find them, I mean, you can get well in a hurry. Yeah, that's what that's what I've heard. That's what that Jeremy Mattingly guy uh-huh. who, who does the crappie fishing. That's what he told us. He said, you know, it's nothing to pull up on a spot and and catch eight. And he said, you normally know if you pull up on a spot and you know you you don't get a bite in the first couple of minutes, you might as well just move on to the next spot. Yeah, and the thing is, it's, you know, there's it's a lot of targets, you know, moving you up got down. stumps. There's and you stump got, fields, there's yeah. laydowns, there's drift piles, there's, you know, there, there are some islands in places. and That's kind of cool. It's like a lot of doors you can open. Like what's going to, instead of just having, you know, like the other day I went to Green River Tailwater, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to try to catch a muskie. Mm-hmm. So I went straight to the box. I was on foot. And after I took about 10 casts in the box and I didn't catch a muskie. Really? Now what? I was like, well, I, I guess there's, I'm not going to catch a muskie today. But if you're on the Ohio River, like you said, there's so many options. You know, you you, you aren't stuck with just one spot because you can move 100 yards and you got another log jam or another stump pile. Or you can move across the river and it's like a, a million opportunities and you got them all to yourself. Yeah. I mean, and I think most fishermen, I'll speak for myself, I like targets. Yeah. It's a pretty target-rich environment. Yeah, that's you know. true. When you say targets, you're talking about, you know, like when you're in a creek and you're stream fishing, which might be more common to most people. When you're in just this big slack water section, you know, you're looking around like there's not a whole lot here. But then you find that spot with those riffles and those stream, you know, little streams weaving through and those grass mats. You're like, okay, I'm going to fish this one. I'm going to fish that's that one. That's a high percentage area, and I want my bait there. Yeah, exactly. It's and it's a, so many different spots that you look at and you say, I want to cast that spot. However, it's full of those. People just don't put their boat on it and go. It's more of a pleasure boat place. I mean, you know, but there's, uh, I got to imagine that there's probably more fish not getting caught in the Ohio River 
in the main sections of mm -hmm. it than there are anywhere else because that's the biggest water body we have. Tell you what, I had a guy I ran into one day and he was he was bragging on he's on the smallmouth, Ohio River smallmouth. He says, "Man, it's phenomenal." Mm -hmm. Says I catch I catch him, you know, four plus pounds, and yeah. I'm like, "Really?" He I, said, I can believe that. And he said, "Yeah." He says he says you you probably don't believe me. I said, well, "I ain't got no reason not to believe you," but yeah, I mean, I mean, you don't hear reports like that, you know. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'm just intrigued. He says, next time I see you, I'm going to bring you some pictures, you know, verify it so you can see. I'm like, all right. Again, some guy I just ran into. Yeah. Lo and behold, a week later, I ran into this guy again. Mm -hmm. Does luck have it? He says, you remember me? I said, yeah, I remember you. He said, come here. I'm going to show you my photo album. Okay. Son, I'll tell Big you smallest. what. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I was like, I was impressed. I was like, those are, that's a, really the high river. He goes, yeah. And he says, I do it all the time. Yeah. He's like, he said, love that river for so bass that's fishing. That's the, that's the thing. He had figured it out. You, so if somebody wants a, an awesome fishery all to themselves, there's one just waiting for you to go figure it out. Just got just got to do a little homework. I mean. Do you think, if I ask you this, um, this Friday night at, let's just say, 8 o'clock, uh -huh. are there going to be more fishing lines in the water on Taylorsville Lake or on a 100-mile section of the Ohio River. Oh, that's an easy question. Taylorsville, Taylorsville hands down. Yeah, I mean, there's, if, no, there's no there's no debate on if, that. If you exclude McAlpin Lock and Dam, I would say there's more poles in the water on 3,000-acre Taylorsville Lake than a 100-mile stretch of the Ohio River yeah. at any given point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll tell you what, so we just knocked out four. So i got to make it, <clears throat> excuse oh. me. We're, making you we're overachievers point. today, then. I know. Well, the Ohio River used. I, what did I? What was I going towards there? I was trying to come up with some streams, but the Ohio River. I got to yeah. say, the best two that. Man, it's hard to say. I like the Lower Kentucky River because, like you said, it's it's kind of the same boat as the Ohio River. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, yeah it's one of those that you're probably going to have to spend a little bit more time figuring out. But once you do figure it out, you got the place to yourself. Yep. You know, and the fish can be just as big and just as plentiful in certain um, preferred water sections. Mm -hmm. You know, because you're not just going to be fishing random water. You got to figure out, okay, this is what I'm, the kind of water I'm looking for. This is the the texture of the bottom I'm looking for. You're looking for the right habitat. Yeah. So once you find that habitat, you've got almost endless water to fish yeah. in the lower Kentucky and the Ohio. And then the other one that we mentioned was basically water bodies on WMAs because WMAs are just underutilized in general. Like I said, they don't have that park. They aren't a park. You know, it's not a city park. It's And that's where people think. If I'm looking for a public pond to go fish, I... I guess I'm going to have to go to the park and fish, you know. But it's really, those WMAs are scattered all over the state. There's over 100 of them, and pretty much most of them have a body of water on them. What's funny is, like, I don't even go to the county parks where it's all manicured and everything because yeah. our success is so much better at these. Yeah. And, again, it's because of the fish are not pressured the same. Yeah. And yeah, they don't get the pressure, and honestly, there's something to having tall grass banks. Mm -hmm. You know, that probably helps what's in the water, too. Yeah. You know, the grass wasn't made to be mowed. And there's not, t there's not like 20,000 ducks on their manure everywhere. Yeah. You hit the walk, wade through with the kids. So. We just got a new, uh, you know, I hate, you know, knocking on this lake right out here outside our window because I like it. I, yeah. like, I like seeing the people fishing every day, and I like having a lake that close I can run down to. But mm -hmm. we just got a new camera, an underwater camera here that we're going to start using on the show. And I said, man, I kind of want to go test that thing out. And right. Jameson, the producer in the other room there, he said, well, don't go test it out down there. It'll be covered in you know, goose goose poop if you, when you pull it right. out of the water. And that's true. Those WMAs really don't get the waterfowl pressure. One, because they might get hunted there. <laughs> true. Yeah. That, that is true. I mean, typically what you see there, you'll, you'll get you'll get a few, some geese there at times. Yeah. They're typically not residents. They're just kind yeah. of moving through, moving in and out of the area. You know, the cool thing is you get to see some different stuff, like the wood ducks. You know, you get to mm. see some different wildlife. And there's, uh, you know, bird boxes up, prothonotary warblers, yeah. things like that. Um, that you won't get at most places. So, I think we hammered down uh, a couple underutilized waterways. I'm pretty happy with that. And uh, I mean, I think we covered pretty much the basis of the the Elkhorn Dam removal and also how it applies to other lowhead dams that are going to be coming out. And I hope that some of those misconceptions people might have, you know, about you know all the negative things people say about the dam removal are based on a misconception they have about the dam itself. Right. You know, like flood control or or things like that. One one of the ones we hear quite a bit is when they take the dam out, the, the creek will go dry. Yes. 
Yes. And uh, you know that's another one. So that that's a big one that we've been answering that question a bunch here. I mean, like that pool above Elkhorn. How long was that stretch? I mean, it went not to the forks. It, it no, because at the forks it was Riffle Pool there. So well, and it's a Riffle Pool. It from the forks of Elkhorn, and which you know, if if you haven't been there, this is going to be a horrible, horrible audio topic. <laughs> but you know, it, when the when the North Fork and the South Fork came together, it was flat and it was shallow for the first. 150 yards probably, mm-hmm. and then it started to get that depth to it. And I know that it was pulled up past the Jim Beam Bridge because I saw how much the water level changed on those bridge pillars. Right. It really exposed the basis. But I don't think 150 or 200 yards past that that the creek's going to be affected at all, aside from the fish being able to move up and down more. Right. Um, so I really think that it's just directly affecting like a 500 yard stretch of the creek mm-hmm. and it's basically just returning it to natural. It What it'll look like is what it does above that pool. Yeah. You know, it, riffle pool, you know, shallow spots, deeper spots. Which you is know, what you want. You know, braided channels, a lot of diversity. See the water willow beds, that vegetation kind of come back, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, it's not gonna go dry. I think that's the biggest thing people will get worried about is there's nothing to keep water there. Well, there's water in other places that aren't dammed. Yeah. It'll just look similar to that. Yeah, it's going to be the same. So you live down there close. You going to go fish it soon? I am dying to get out. Yeah. I've got, I, I've had I've actually had a little bit of issues with my feet, and I have not been able to wade fish yet this Uh-oh. year. So as soon as I get done with healing from that, yeah. I'm ready to go because it's killing me. Yeah. I have to, to set in the John boat right now. So I'm going to be going very soon. <laughs> if I'm looking at that USGS gauge, I'm thinking three or four it, days I'll be down there. It is killing me. I want to go catch me some smallmouth. What do you say we, we call, it, uh, call it a wrap? Oh, it's almost, it's already almost time to go home. Cool. I'm, I'm going to be here late <laughs> today is what that means. Cool. All right, David. Well, I appreciate you coming by. All right. If you go fish it before I do, let me know how it is. I appreciate it. Check, right. check out our Twitter feed. If, maybe we'll have some pictures here soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Central Central District Fisheries Biologist. That, that would be me. People need to call you for some reason. Your contact info is on the website. It is. Just just look at the contact information for your county. Uh, it'll hop, pop up. Uh, Jeff Crosby, Central District. Give us a call. We'll get back with you and be happy to answer your questions. And if you catch a fish that you think is possibly a state record, David here has a new scale he's learning how to use and try to get you squared away. Yeah, we're all, all about state records. I know. No.